we're back with another episode of Teed Up, and we have our first return guest to the podcast. Can you guess who it is? Well, I'm going to end that mystery because it's Mr. Fritz Charles. Fritz, how does it feel to be back on the show? It feels good. It feels real good. I feel, I feel like Eli um, sec, uh, facing Brady for the second time. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we can get into the Super Bowl because I don't think the world has complained enough about it yet, so we should definitely talk about it. I'll be honest, like I, the more I think about the Super Bowl a couple of days after, it was actually a decent game, but we just have such high expectations for it to be this offensive blowout that uh, we were expecting a lot more. Yeah, I mean, it's a it was a defensive I mean, it was a defensive masterpiece, but I, I, we don't need a you know, we don't need a blowout, but we just need at least a touchdown on each side at least. I mean, I would love to see at least 14 points from each team at the very least. Um, but yeah, it it was it was not to, not entertaining at all. Um, the halftime show was underwhelming. The commercials were underwhelming. Um, yeah, I wish I had that time back. <laughs> the uh, the commercials were were probably the most disappointing part of Super Bowl Sunday for me. Uh, we're both in marketing, so it's kind of like the holy day of hey, what is going to be the next big commercial? What's everyone going to be talking about? The water cooler and one trend that I don't understand right now um, is releasing the commercial ahead of time on Twitter on Instagram, even teases of the commercial, uh, for the life of me, I don't understand it. You know, if you're going to spend $7 million, 5 to $7 million on a TV spot, uh, why show the audience it beforehand? I, I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, but I think what people have realized is that um, these commercials is really more about the banter and, com- and the conversation around them. And so I guess they want to get a head start on the conversations. Um but, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, there's no surprise factor there when you kind of just release it um, beforehand. I don't think anyone knows what they're doing in marketing anymore. All right. That's a strong statement. Um, but, you know, you have a strong resume, so you can back that up. Um, what, what do you, what, what's your biggest pet peeve? I guess uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very strong statement. Like that's, that could encompass uh, digital marketing, brand marketing, TV, radio, all you you could what that you just can't you just you just shot a bazooka at the whole industry. I'm dropping bombs. If I had uh, <laughs> if I had a sound guy or producer for the show that's not named Andy Rosenberg and was sitting beside me, I would have like that like the DJ yeah. bomb like. Man, that's Funkmaster Flex. Funkmaster Flex bomb right there. Um. Yeah. So. Let me back that up and say I'm not negative about the state of marketing right now. I just think there's this transition period going on, and it's very confusing to know where to spend your ad dollars if you're a brand. Uh, It's very confusing to know where to advertise, um, which medium works. Uh, I think looking at startup marketing, there was that huge boom and we're still somewhat in, in it, but I think we're getting out of it where every startup would just rush to Facebook um, and Instagram and just dump a lot of money into that, dump a lot of money into you know search to a degree and pray for good users and good customers. And now, as we kind of are out of that bubble, I think, um, and we're looking for all these new channels, hey, is it TV that's working? Hey, are we going to do print? Are we going to do Subway? Um it's really a confusing time. And so I think a lot of marketers are kind of throwing their hands up in the air and, and saying, hey, I, we don't really know, so we'll throw as many things on the wall that'll stick. And I think that's going to cause a little bit of turbulence in the next year or so on how to effectively market, to be honest, really anything. Yeah, yeah, no, it's an interesting way to put it. Funny that you mentioned uh, Facebook. So, you know, I'm in the crypto space and I've been marketing in the crypto space. And crypto is a is a weird industry. Um, and you know, it has a lot of positive, but it also has a lot of negatives. And the negatives have caused a lot of these platforms to not allow people to advertise crypto on their platform. So, in my previous marketing stops, I've always leaned leaned on, um, you know, Facebook. As a as a as my major tool, and with you know just kind of doing other things like AdWords and SEO and and all other type of marketing around that. But Facebook, I cannot 
get any ads on Facebook. So I've kind of been forced to learn other tools, right? So I've kind of been leaning on Twitter a lot. I've never, I've kind of always looked at Twitter as the uh, the stepchild when it comes to marketing and, 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 and not a platform that I spend money on, but I'm basically spending a majority of my money on Twitter right now. And so on, but you know, it's, it's pluses and minuses, right? So now it's almost like the, the guy that plays basketball hurt his right hand and is forced to learn how to dribble his left. I kind of feel that way. Um, so I'm kind of seeing some of these other platforms and some of these other tools and trying to figure out how to leverage those. Um, but, you know, being data oriented, I've always I don't know how, you know, doing things like subway marketing or TV marketing could ever work because I can never track it because I always come from data first um, versus anything else. So one, I definitely want to go back to your point on Twitter and, and dive into a little bit more of crypto Twitter because that that's a whole podcast episode itself. So let's let's dedicate some time to that discussion. Um, sure. Going back to your point on, you know, measuring the effectiveness of a TV ad. I mean, there are ways to do this. Um, obviously, you look at the spikes to you know your website during the ad, or you try to attribute uh, sale numbers for a certain time period or a certain geographic location where the ad is showing. It's just not as uh, straightforward as some of the other tools that you've used in your past. So you can do that. Um, what's interesting to me, I mean, for me, I'm coming at more from a, of a brand standpoint of a, you know, how do we get the message out, you know, to the most people at the, with, you know, the least amount of friction in getting that brand messaging across um, with the least amount of breakage. I'll tell you, there is one medium right now and one game that is crushing this space. Uh, and I'm not going to say I predicted this back in August, but I predicted this back in August um, with my first episode, and that is Fortnite. And so it was interesting to me. Um, I know you're getting so much in this podcast. You're getting crypto Twitter. You're getting Fortnite. We're going to get into some NBA Twitter discussion, some NBA trade discussion. So you're getting mm-hmm. a lot with this episode, folks. So, so stay tuned. And I'm probably going to pepper in a little bit more about you know my online dating theories because that was a hit in the last episode um but going back to Fortnite, you know they did an event over the weekend with marshmallow um i'll be honest i i'm not the biggest marshmallow i hope i'm saying the name right i'm not an edm guy i know he's huge so i'm dating myself a little bit but they did an in-game concert uh with him which pretty much was a commercial for him um, it was, you know, giving back to the Fortnite community. I, I guess he's a popular artist within that age demo. Um, and when I say age demo, I'm 32 and still sometimes play it. So it's for all ages. Um, yep. But the most interesting thing about it, uh, the numbers that came out over the weekend. So it was a pretty much surprise event. You know, I talk about the Super Bowl ads having this build up on Instagram, on Facebook, you know, kind of spoiling the content of the ads. For all intents and purposes, there was very little buildup with this Fortnite in-game event. And if you don't know what Fortnite is, get out of America at this point because that's like the <laughs> biggest thing. That Sorry, that's not an anti... Sorry, that's a touchy uh, thing to say right now. Stay in America. Is that, is that a, a shout out 21 Savage? No, no. And and, and I know the State of the Union Free, free 21. And free 21. Of people riled up about that. Um, so everyone's welcome in... America and my teed up podcast, so we are not telling anyone to leave America. Um, come to America. We're you know we're the land of opportunity. Hopefully one day again. Um, but so what they did in Fortnite, they they had this in game concert, and it was like an EDM show and a rave. And and I don't know what that actually is like because I've never been to one. Like the the closest I probably come is that scene in in White Chicks with Terry Crews, like with the glow sticks, and it's like one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. Very underrated movie. Maybe mildly racist. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, mildly, it depends who you ask. Who's it racist? Yeah, but that's a good way to put it. It's, I mean, it's called white chicks. So, but I mean, you know, I'm not a white chick, so I would have to ask a white. You know, we're going down the wrong. We I know, go, I know, just, I know. I know. <laughs> we don't like, going down a slippery slope. But I'm just saying, it may, does it get made today? No, no, it doesn't. And you know what's crazy is that that movie's not that old. No, so that's a good point. Made today. 
Uh, white chicks doesn't get made. The Office though doesn't get made today. I mean, and that so we're talking like 2007, well that early 2000s. I don't know. White chicks might be early. Yeah, it's probably earlier. It's like 98. I don't know. You can fact check it later. All right, we're so far off topic. Fortnite. Fortnite has this in-game event, and so there's 10 million gamers watching this event playing at the same time. So you have 10 million people all in this one area advertising the marshmallow contest. Um. And then the rumors are it's somewhere between 30 to 60 million people were watching this uh, stream online. You know, wow. that, that's a little bit harder to track, but that, those are the early figures. I mean, that alone just blows my mind and really makes me rethink, you know, how are we going to move forward with marketing when clearly the eyeballs right now uh, are on Fortnite, are on these in-game events, and how can we replicate that and where will the industry head while you have all these traditional brand marketers spending so much money on ads on tv with little recall i mean not a lot of people are talking about these ads anymore it has about a one to two day shelf life on twitter um and there's a lot of backlash versus this one in-game event you know they brought everyone into fortnite i don't care if you love marshmallow or you don't if you like, I I don't care if you like marshmallows in real life. I'm personally a s'mores guy, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> it was so clear that they have this ability to draw in close to 60 million users at once to all watch the same thing. Like, if you're a brand, you're trying to think, how do I get myself into Fortnite right now? No, it's true. It's true. I mean, obviously, you have to make sure that that's the target market, right? Um, you know, Fortnite is still uh, majority male, majority millennial. Right. So if you are selling a re- you know, retirement plan or annuity to somebody that is uh, 55, I don't know if that's your target group, but for sure, if there, it's 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 if, if for that for that audience, it's, it's no better place. I uh, see. I disagree. I think there's a way to to get AARP into Fortnite. You know, you get like you want to have your retirement plans and, and everything for when you're done doing squad based, you know killing or whatever you do in that game you gotta think ahead so uh i don't know i i think you know i agree with you on that point uh but it's still it's still an interesting thing and whether it's fortnite or whether it's another game or whether it's twitch in general you know another thing that was really interesting that happened in the last two weeks um was aoc you know aoc dropping into twitch oh uh, that was that was awesome that was awesome and like that also got me thinking just, you know, there are so many new ways to advertise. And then we have these Super Bowl ads that are so archaic. You know, how many more years are we going to go where we're all huddled around the TV watching new Super Bowl ads versus are there going to, you know, versus these in-game events that could have been happening simultaneously uh, during the Super Bowl, during halftime or in commercial. I mean, I know that's a little abstract, but, you know, this is all happening all at once. It's creating this really confusing situation. And oh yeah, we're pulling out of Facebook now um, because we're not seeing the return results. And we're also a little bit questionable about spending money on Facebook given some of the data breaches, which I do think are concerning to brands um, and companies. So there's just a whole lot of things going on where I think it's creating this murky, turbulent picture of what marketing is going to look like. That being said, I also think it's creating these really cool new opportunities. And I'll be honest, like that whole Fortnite marshmallow event, it got me pumped about marketing. It got me pumped about, you know, the future of marketing and where, you know, I'm always a sucker for a really creative way to get people's attention. And I can't think of a better example in recent times than than that Fortnite marshmallow event. Um so yeah, it's 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 a change. The times are a changing. The times are changing. The times are changing. Um, you know, this it, it reminds me when uh, when Zynga went public, being a, a large gaming company, um, they mentioned that you know their competition is 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 t- television, right? So even then, they kind of set the stage for gaming to. be um, something to be looked on it as a new entertainment category versus a hobby. And in fact, you know, just recently, I don't really have to go as far as Zingo in public. The last Netflix, uh, the last Netflix quarterly results, um, the the CEO mentioned that um, they don't worry about HBO; they worry about Fortnite. 
as being their competition. Yeah, no, uh, that was a fascinating snippet from from that you know that news, and I think I think there's a really real thing to that. You know, this concern of where the time uh, is going. I mean, you only have so much time to consume content, and like we, I talked a little bit about this on my last podcast. I mean, we're in such an increasingly distracted world that. There's such a limited window of opportunity to capture the attention of anyone right now. I mean, we are so distracted. We are so bombarded with content overload that marketers have to work harder than ever to get their messaging across. Yeah, exactly. I think the biggest example of this is 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 Twitter. Um, from the standpoint of noise and communication, this is not a new thought. But, you know, recently Jack Dorsey did a podcast press tour, essentially, you know, going on the Bill Simmons show, uh, Bill Simmons podcast, going on the Joe Rogan experience um, and kind of highlighting what he felt Twitter was and where he wanted to see it go in the future. Um, And it made me kind of take a step back and reevaluate my own relationship with Twitter. And this is a great segue back into crypto Twitter and Twitter in general, just being this place for people to shout really loudly that hasn't really changed since 2008. But I find uh, in its current state, you know, basically I have two use cases for Twitter at the moment, why I log in. One is our president. And for better or for worse, I find I want to know what's going on inside his head. And Twitter enables me to do that. When I wake up in the morning, the first feed I check is actually his, which is weird yeah, at times. Uh, sometimes it's very concerning, but that's how he chooses to deliver his news. This is you know coming on the we're two hours away from the State of the Union when we're recording this, so who knows <laughs> what you know tweets are going to be included in that uh, broadcast? But that's one of my main use cases. The second, I love NBA Twitter. Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, you know, these woes bombs that are being dropped, you know, with all the NBA trade headlines. And this is similar to what Jack Dorsey said. He loves NBA Twitter, too. I would say those are my two main reasons. There's this third area of it, which is for networking, which I struggle with. Um, because while it's great to connect with new people, I also find myself engaging with people um, in these dialogues that sometimes get out of hand. And I don't mean them to get out of hand, but we're just shouting at each other. And it ends up being pointless. So that's how I feel about Twitter right now. I'm very conflicted. I want to know how you feel about Twitter personally, and I want you then to dive into a little bit of the dynamics of crypto Twitter, because I think our audience, whether you know a lot about crypto or not, uh, there's definitely a culture involved with crypto Twitter that's worth exploring more. No, for sure. I mean, Twitter, uh, I love Twitter, actually. Twitter, I mean, has its has its faults, but it's, it's kind of like my favorite... Um, way to uh, quote unquote waste time. Um, it's a place where you know it, it's something that you cur- curate, right? So if it doesn't work for you, it's, it's all dependent on who you follow and who you don't follow. And so you know, I try to follow people that I, I, I believe are smart, people that I believe are going to e- either inform or entertain me. Um, and when I don't do a good job of that, you know, just click one button on unfollow, right? And so that's kind of a cool thing about it, but. <clears throat> And that's where I get my, most of my news. And I'm a news junkie, so it's a pretty cool thing. I could just hop in and get news on, you know, what's going on in Venezuela. Then I could follow what's going on with the Anthony Davis trade. Then I could go and follow what's going on in crypto. Then I could follow what's going on on, you know, maybe the uh, the latest stock news or what have you. So it's 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 very efficient. And if, you know, if you know how to use it, it's pretty cool. Um, that being said, you know, yeah, it has a lot of toxic things. It has many toxic things. And so you mentioned 45 being, um, you know, you, you know, you go in, you log in and you, and you check what 45 is saying. It's like, um, you know, funny enough, I listened to, you know, in part of Jack Dorsey's podcast tour, he stopped at the Joe Rogan podcast. And um, on the Joe Rogan podcast, you know, he, he kind of Joe Rogan questioned him on why he lets why he didn't ban Donald Trump, even though Donald Trump has done some things that have run afoul of the, you know, Twitter 
uh, terms and conditions. And he said, like, listen, people, you know, people deserve to hear what's going on in the head of the, you know, the leader of their country or the leader, you know, leaders of leader of the biggest country in the world um, from a from a power standpoint. And so, yeah, you know, there is benefit whether you are a fan of him or not, um, you know, there is benefit to, you know, knowing uh, what he's thinking and what he's saying, what he's trying to incite or what he's trying to bring attention to. I do think it has an unhealthy standpoint because I know a lot of people that kind of just are obsessed with that and you know they just kind of they go and then, then they're retweeting him and tweeting at him and using it as examples like oh can you believe this guy can you believe this guy and yeah I mean you know I, I don't know I, I guess the other side is you don't want to normalize it so it's a fine medium I try to like I, I do keep a, a breast of it but I try not to be consumed um, with that just because I, I feel like it's you know you you, you try to con- it's, be- it's best to control what you can control um, but yeah going to crypto tour Crypto Twitter is huge. Um, Twitter, you know, crypto as an industry is um, a lot of pomp and circumstance over substance, to be frank. Um, You know, there's a lot of promises that have not been kept as far as things that be built, you know, um, you know, uh, value that should have been created. And things are in, 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 in what people are doing. They're just kind of what mostly is. What's what crypto, the value of crypto right now is debating what could happen and how it should happen, and that happens on Twitter. It happens on Reddit as well, but Twitter is mainly where it comes from. And Twitter and crypto, for better or for worse, is personality driven, <clears throat> and so a lot of the leading personalities on in crypto, um, the thought leaders, if you will are on Twitter and you know they have big followings and they say things and those and those whatever they say leads to um a ton of debate ton of comments and you know it's important for anybody that's industry in that is in the industry or is interested in the industry to uh pay attention to that because all markets are are markets are are basically um synthesized opinion right um you know in every market crypto obviously but stock market bond market you name it right all it is is people's opinions right because you're, you're betting on what you believe the future of our investment's going to be and because crypto hasn't had as much subs substantial like substance to it it's even more opinion based and so twitter is where you get those opinions so you have to pay attention to it i mean i feel and you're much more invested in the crypto community uh, than I am. From a little bit of an outside perspective, uh, I feel like Twitter has birthed these crypto god complexes, you know, these personalities potentially that can shift the discussion one way or the other. And, and one would argue that's what the point of the platform is. But there's a very dangerous element there because. How do we know that you know the people who are the biggest, the most loudest voices in the room talking about crypto are saying the right things? Who's policing that? Right. Nobody's policing it. And how do you know that those people are not talking their own book, a.k.a. you know, having investments in certain things and then using their reach to, um, you know, influence other people investing in those things which would increase the price obviously um so yes a lot of that's happening um and it's 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 not great would you argue that twitter is the backbone of crypto marketing right now um it's a strong statement um but yes i would have to because if if i say crypto is personality driven and individual driven and celebrity driven quote, quote unquote um and those people most of the time they put their thoughts out and their opinions out on twitter then therefore twitter is the backbone for for um crypto marketing so to me like it's just a little bit crazy thinking about like i guess people can make statements that influence influence the the price of a stock right i mean (laughs) the the classic example of current days that drives me a little bit crazy you know i think it was kylie jenner maybe it was kendall i think it was kylie jenner uh came out and said like does anyone even use snapchat anymore and snapchat stock plummeted like one third uh of its value that day uh directly attributed to I think it was a tweet or it was, a, it was maybe a snap, which would be Snapchat inception to a degree. Uh, nevertheless, uh, people have the power to influence 
you know, public companies. Uh, so it, it, that's nothing new, although a lot of this does go regulated because in the stock market, you know, every, you know everything's regulated when, you know, currency comes under regulation, when companies fall under regulation. Uh, there's so much going on in crypto, and correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, it's just scary that things can be manipulated so easy, easily. And uh, the other scary aspect of this, and I'd love your feedback on this, uh, I was reading a story, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, um, where a CEO died with the passwords uh, to to the company, uh, essentially making it impossible for a lot of people to get their crypto investments back. Is this true? So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's funny. Yeah. Actually, uh, um, recorded a pod about this. It's a mess. Um, so basically, yeah. Um, you know, the whole thing about crypto that people, you know, if you follow this is a guy that, um, that says, um, on, on Twitter, his name is Pomp. He, he says, uh, long, long crypto short to banks. The whole thing around crypto is that you're supposed to be your own bank, right? Um, you're supposed to keep your own keys. You're supposed to, you know, you don't need a Bank of America or Chase to manage them for you. And so, uh, you 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 kind of could do whatever you want. But if you don't manage those keys properly, there's not a customer service that can get get them back from you, right? If you don't manage them properly, if you pass away and then you're and you haven't given me the your passwords or your your hashes to you know your loved ones, then that money's gone forever. The problem with this. And that's, and that's what this individual decided to do. The problem is he wasn't doing it with his own. It was it would have been bad enough if he did it with his own funds because he would have lost all of his personal money and his family wouldn't be able to get to it. But he actually managed his business that way, a crypto business that way. So he met, he had the funds of um, millions of people to the tune of $190 million. And he decided to manage it as if he would manage his own crypto wallet, uh, meaning that he had all the funds on a cold storage wallet, um, which is a wallet that is basically not connected to the internet and it only could be accessed, um, you know, using a, a, you know, a specific password or key, if you will. Um, and they had no continuity planning, right? So like, like he didn't give it to his co-founder, his head of security, his product manager, anybody. He just kept it. And, you know, it's two sides of the coin, right? There's a lot of crypto exchanges that have gotten hacked. So, quote unquote, this is a safe way to, to do it because, that, you know, if nobody knows the keys and nobody can hack it, the keys don't live on paper. They don't live on somebody's computer or what have you. But on, on the other hand, you can't assume that you're going to live forever, right? Um, so you will, you have to have some kind of um, plans in place if you were to pass away. And so, yeah, I mean, this is this is going crazy all over the press. I've seen it on Fox. I've seen it on, on the guard in the guardian. I've seen it in crypto specific media. These are the kind of stories that go relatively viral and people use as examples as to why this industry, um, is, is, is not ready for, you know, the prime time. And quite frankly, it's, this is true, right? Um, we can't have things like this happen. So you might say it's tales from the crypt. Yeah. Tales from the crypt, yes. <laughs> Which is my, if I do do a deeper dive into crypto and have my own spin-off podcast that you co-host with me, uh, that's you know we can we can come up with a lot of episodes for that. Unfortunately, uh, Tales from the Crypt a podcast already exists. Oh, we does have to it? Do, yeah, we have to do something uh, uh, so slightly I have, different. I have to send a cease and desist, basically, because I think I joked about that like a year ago. All right. There well, we go. All right. Fire it up. It. The teed up legal team is on this. Um, well, the last time you were on the show, I didn't do enough talking about this, and I feel bad, so I'm going to do it now. Uh, you were actually one of the people who inspired me to start the Teed Up podcast because you had your very own podcast. You still do, um, celebrating its 37th episode today, uh, called coin gamma and so it's the coin gamma podcast and so anyone who has even a remote interest in figuring out uh what's going on in the crypto space definitely needs to subscribe and follow and listen to fritz on there and one thing i want to talk to you about now because i get a lot of people asking me hey you know how do you start your own podcast like people who obviously think the show is a lot bigger than it is and i'm not i'm gonna let them keep <laughs> thinking that 
but sure. um, they they're they're very curious to learn how to get a startup, uh, how to get a podcast, you know, started and get it up and off the ground running. And I think you did a great job with Coin Gamma. Um, so I'd love to hear what inspired you to get that started, what you really needed to get it off the ground, and then we'll do some fun comparing and contrasting it to my own experience so far with podcasting because I think podcasting is in a very very interesting state right now. So let's let's get started on that. Yeah. So, um, thank you, man. Um, so yeah, the, yeah, what inspired me to start it obviously is well, not obviously. Um, but I, I'm a big fan of podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time. I'm on, I'm listening to podcasts when I, when I like, you know, I'll have, I'll have to drive somewhere. And then like, you know, if, if, if the drive is only 15 minutes and the podcast episode is 20 minutes, you'll find it probably find me five that extra five minutes just waiting in the parking lot trying to finish the podcast. So I'm a huge fan of podcasts. I like them a lot. Uh, I never really imagined having my own. Um, I I don't think I have a radio voice, if you will. Um, it, even to this day, it kind of, um, when I edit my podcast, it kind of pains me to hear my voice here, you know, the, the ums and the pauses and, and, and the way I, you know, may mispronounce or, uh, or, or, or not enunciate certain things. So yeah, it's not, a, it, it's still kind of a, a, a exercise in personal development. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's allowed me to, to connect with people. It's given me the opportunity to speak to people that I would probably would never have spoken to if I didn't have it. Right. So some of the leaders in the space and, you know, quite frankly, I think it's, you know, it's, it's important to, I felt like it was important for me to have my, get my voice out. Right. You know, everybody like, like, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are pretty popular that have podcasts and, and, you know, they look like people that may, you know, uh, that might be bigger, you know, bigger brands and, and, and bigger in life, so to speak. But, you know, like, a, like the old philosopher from, from Brooklyn, New York said, um, you know, they bleed like us, right? They, everybody's like the same, right? So I could spin up a podcast and just, and be on iTunes like anybody else that I, I admire. Um, and so that's what I did and that's what I was able to do. Um, so, but it's a long journey, right? It takes a while before you could get to, you know, that, that sizable audience, but you know, just as long as you enjoy the journey, you never know who's listening. You never know who's inspired, who you're inspiring. So it's, it's been worth it. Uh, I had a really cool moment. Uh, earlier in the week where someone dm'd me on instagram just to tell me that they really liked the show and i was like that's awesome but my first question was how did how do you know about the show because i'm always curious um I'm going to give one of my growth hacks. I think the bulk of my subscribers to teed up right now are, are coming from Bumble because I massively promote the hell out of my shows on Bumble um, nice. <laughs> in my bio. Um, it's the greatest user acquisition channel. There's my little tidbit um, and my tip to anyone marketing a podcast right now is just promote. People like to ask you about your podcast. It's a really good opening line. So I think that's a big driver. But um, so anyway, someone DMs me and and they tell me they they love this episode. And I was like, which episode? And it was the gender reveal episode. Apparently, that really struck a chord with people. I mean, there's a lot of hatred towards these gender reveal parties. And she had apparently searched for gender reveal parties. Um, I didn't get which platform she she listened to on. I should have gotten that feedback, um, which I will go back and do now that I think about it. Um, but apparently I'm trending uh, the, the, the SEO, whatever you want to call it, around gender reveal parties for uh, I'm, 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 I'm crushing it. So no, I love um, it. That that was a good episode. Um, gender reveals are, yeah. It seems like, there are a lot of things going on right now that seem like they are um, made for social media. They're like even like you know, but you know, it's millennials are getting older. Millennials are have you know, you know, a few years ago they were is everything about selfies. Now they have families, so they but they don't want to give up the the uh, living for social media. Um, parts of their life, right? So they're adopting social media to that, right? So they're doing these reveals. Then, like, I remember, like, the first day of school in September, like, I never saw so many, I, I didn't know that was a thing. There was, like, a hashtag of, like, first day of school and people were taking pictures of their kids in their outfits. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it gives them joy. It's cute. You know, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of things on social media that are not for everybody. So it is what it is. They're not killing anybody. Well, we live in a hashtag world, and I am just – I was trying to do the material girl, material world. I screwed it up. But we're not editing that out because T-Dup is raw and uncut. Um, yes. 
you know, I started the podcast mainly to complain about gender reveal parties and the like. And I thought that would be the direction. But then I also wanted to put more positive thoughts into the world. And now I'm kind of in this, I'll be honest, it's the negative co- uh, content that people love. <laughs> like, and I kind of knew that that was going to happen. And so I'm leaning more towards the Larry David, uh, you know, branding that I had envisioned that I had thought it would originally be. Um, that being said, um, you know, I had a lot of other motivations to start the podcast. For me, I felt I was talking too much on Twitter. Uh, I was saying a lot of nonsense. It was just a time sink. I wasn't getting a lot out of it. So I wanted a way to condense my thoughts and put them into uh, a recorded form that people could digest uh, when they chose, not when they're logging into my timeline. Um, and I also think I'm really funny. So I really wanted to to try to get my humor out a little bit better than I could with 140 characters or 240 or 70 or billion, whatever it is now. Um, so those are my inspirations. Uh, I thought it would get a lot bigger quickly, to be honest, but I think we all kind of have a little bit of an ego and we all think like the minute we put out content, it will be the greatest thing. Like I always think like a lot of people, maybe myself included at times, you, know, you think when you're drafting that tweet or you're drafting or you're posting your picture on Instagram, well, this is the greatest content in the world. Everyone's going to love this. This is going to be the tweet that goes viral. And then it's like one like, and you're like, all right, well, back to the drawing board. Um, But all of these thoughts got me interested in formulating some type of podcast that I could do. Didn't really know how many episodes I wanted to record. And I still struggle with that. Um, Is it better to put out one a week, two a week? Uh, I've been really sporadic with my releasing a podcast. You know, sometimes I'll have two in a week and then I'll take a two months break. So that's probably not a great way to grow your podcast audience. And I'll probably be fixing that. That being said, um, it's a really nice medium to try to get your point across. And I feel the real power of it is in its authenticity. I think people are raw. I think in the recording nature of it, um, it doesn't have to be perfect. That's my number one advice to anyone who wants to start a podcast. podcast. You don't even have to say the word right. Um, it's just to get a product out there. And I remember you saying that to me is, is you know, just, just ship your first product. Get, get it out there. And, you know, in time, I think it's gotten a little bit better. We're working on it. But, but I, I've really enjoyed it. So, you know, that's what got me into it. Where I look uh, now, it, looking like back on, I've been doing this for what, since August of 2018. So not too long. And you've been doing it almost what, a year now? Yeah, almost a year. Crazy. So we're in a really interesting space with podcasting. Um, you know, this week the news broke. I don't know if it's official yet. I think it's official, but nothing's official until it's official. But uh, Spotify is going to acquire Gimlet Media. And uh, that's a huge, huge win for both companies. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what they do with this. Um, but it's only going to make the life of the independent podcaster that much more difficult. So, you know, while we're enjoying our podcast and we're, we're having these built-in dedicated audiences, you know, I'm curious what you f- how you feel about the, the ecosystem on the whole, and especially in light of this news, you know, is there room for the independent podcaster these days? I think there is. Um, you know, it's well. First off, the news is is crazy. I mean, obviously, the Gimlet Gimlet uh, Studios, or or uh, I forgot what they call the company, but Gimlet began with the startup podcast, and the first episode was first season was the founder starting Gimlet and he quite frankly had, you know, was very transparent, did not know anything about, um, launching a company. He was a journalist. He, um, he had a, he had decorated history when it comes to, you know, podcast and, you know, online and, and online radio, but he knew nothing about business. And so, you know, talked about the difficulties he had raising money, the difficulties he had personally, right? You know, he had two small kids at the time and he's trying to launch a company, just difficulty with his co-founder. So I've been following, I've been following the company as a fan since then. And so it was really cool to see it grow to this point. I never thought, I didn't never thought that they would be able to get this level of valuation in such a short period of time. Um, but that's, but you know, Hey, that's, that's the nature of startups. Um, they're creating enough value. Um, and, and, and Spotify wants to, you know, put their content within their walled garden. So, 
they they want to pay up for it, right? And so, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think you know, it's 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 it does get to the point where, you know, it's interesting because they were already doing consolidation. So I guess your question is like, does it is it bad for um, independent podcast producers? Well, Gimlet was their own version of consolidation, right? Because they were trying to centralize the creation of podcasts to begin with. And now they will join even a larger parent company, right? So it's almost kind of like a, a record label under another record label. Um, and then, you know, will the indie labels survive? I, th- I still think so um, because, you know, I never, I don't think, you know, I, Apple would ever acquire um, podcasts. They, all, they, they, um, they survive on the independence of the space and people just kind of using their platform to launch. Same thing with Google and, 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 and Stitcher and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, there, there may be a little bit of marginal movement, but no, I still think, you know, being an indie has a strong future. Yeah, I mean, there are a few companies in the space that I feel are still really innovating. And, you know, I, I've praised Anchor.fm quite a bit uh it's it's what i used to distribute my podcasts um to kind of track the success of the of, of the podcast um i've actually moved away from trying to promote uh as much on apple podcasts and have moved more towards promoting directly uh through my anchor.fm slash teed up page one because they've had sponsorships and while hey i'm not making tons of, of dollars it's just nice you know you feel a little bit more professional when you put an ad for your podcast it's really weird um but they've been an interesting player in the space, um, and I think there's a home for independent podcasters there. Well, um, be curious to see what their exit ends up being, and I imagine it actually will be sooner than we all think, um, given their traction in the space. But going back to you know where guys like you and me fit, I mean, there's definitely a market. Would you? What would you say your end goal is with the with the coin gamma? Because I have this dream that that Netflix is going to come knocking on my door, and they're going to love the content I'm putting on. You know, from an audio standpoint, that they're going to give me my own series at some point. You know, they're, they're, I'll have to do some camera tests, and we'll see if that goes well in the transition from audio to video. But to me, I look at like podcasts right now as as a way to get your story out, to create a brand for yourself, um, and to see you know. These are the new things that are going to get optioned uh, going forward. So I, I don't, I'm curious, you know, what, what is your end goal with with Coin Gamma? That's a great question. Um, I think uh, I think initially it was kind of something to use as a as a as a as a buzz to, you know, um, you know, I wanted to kind of build Coin Gamma into this large startup that was going to create uh, media as well as data for this emerging crypto space. Um, and, you know, I've since turned it into more of a, a, a personal, um, you know, uh, I would say a personal business, like a, a platform for me to do, you know, business development, partnerships, um, do speaking engagements, do consulting, right? So more of a solo business. And so, you know, so, I mean, to that end, CoinGamma has remained the same. I mean, CoinGamma is, 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 is a tool for me to um, build out my brand, get my ideas out, um, establish myself as a thought leader in the space. Um, and, and it's going to remain that. Um, and so, but, you know, I think initially I, w- I did want something that was going to be, you know, have huge list- huge listenership um, and something that I would be able to monetize via ads in the future. Um, and, you know, it may get to that point in the future, but I'm not putting that as much pressure on it. Uh, you know, obviously I want to have sustainable growth, um, but, you know, I just want to be consistent. Um, I do think that, you know, it's already has, has given me quite a bit or uh, even if it hasn't given me, you know, hundreds of thousands of listeners, like, you know, I've been able to, you know, do way more speaking engagements than I've ever had. I've been able to get a lot of different business opportunities through it. Um, and it's done its job as far as establishing me. So I guess it's more of a personal tool versus something that's going to be like some large thing that I flip to Spotify in the future. Podcasts don't go viral. I think that's a really interesting thing to think about. You know, it's, it's, it's one of these things where... 
I think brands have the advantage here because they have these built-in audiences and celebrities have an advantage here because they have these built-in audiences that will follow them. So if they start a podcast on day one, they're going to have built-in listeners. Um, the independent podcaster doesn't really go viral, you know, so I think where you see a lot of, you know, people who have rose to fame on Twitter, you know, with viral tweeting because they had one thought that just got retweeted over and over again and, um, that type of content, you know, that's where Twitter is really great. It excels, but that's short-lived, uh, you know, it's short-lived 15 minutes of fame. Podcasts don't go viral, so you really have to work hard to to gain your audience. I also think it's super uh, – the medium itself is really hard for newcomers. Uh, there, you don't – we're in this tech bubble, uh, and most of our peers are. Um, where we assume people have even listened to a podcast. You'd be shocked at how many people have never even heard a podcast yet, let alone know how to uh, listen to one or, uh, on you know, a deeper level, know how to subscribe to a podcast. I mean, it's, and I blame Apple for that, to be honest. I think it's it's a clunky UX to actually subscribe to a podcast. It's not clear-cut, and, and that's something that needs to be fixed. I actually think that's where Spotify is going to do a lot of wonders, um, in the future, I, I see them improving that whole user journey. But it's really, really tough to grow a podcast. That being said, I've enjoyed putting out these podcasts more than any other type of content I've ever put out. Uh, I love Instagram. I love sharing my photos. But uh, this this is a lot of fun because I feel like it's the right level of um, careful thought and curation of content. Um, some editing, but pretty raw. Um and I like that for me, it forces me to be thematic in an approach, but also open myself up to listening to the audience. Like, I can see how many people enjoyed this episode. And so that type of content is content that I'll probably use in the future. And it's just, it gives you a much better view of that versus other platforms that I've participated in um where it's kind of been like just me spewing out thoughts or pictures or images and it's just chaotic and i don't know that's really something i've gotten from the medium so similarly to you like i don't see myself stopping i I don't know if this is going to be the next big podcast right i think that road i actually think that road's kind of getting more narrow and 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 the light at the end of tunnel is actually getting farther away because i i do think um one Anyone can make a podcast. So that's great. But you have competition. Two, there's only so much time in the day. So I still think, you know, the main podcast leaders, I, I, I'll i be honest, I only listen to two to three regularly. I just don't have time to listen to more podcasts. And I think that's going to be something that hurts the independent podcaster. That being said, um, there's a huge opportunity for people to get their thoughts across and shape their personal brand. And, and I do kind of want to dive a little bit into that about the personal branding um, aspect of this you know, I remember one time when I was, was uh, I think I was like 23 at the time and I was at a family dinner table and I was working on my career and people were asking me like, why do you tweet? Why do you care about Twitter? As I'm probably tweeting at the dinner table. Um, and I think I gave like a snarky answer, like I'm working on my personal brand. <laughs> um, you were ahead of your time. Yeah, ahead of it. But I don't know if that did me much good in the long run. Uh I did predict the Fortnite thing. I did predict the Fortnite thing. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that's also why I have more appreciation for people who just try to start a podcast. Like, hey, it may not. It's going to be rough in the beginning, and you're not going to have a built-in audience, you know, like these celebrities do or like the brands do. But I give you more credit to try to start a podcast. You know, try to go out. Here's here's your startup, you know, starter kit. Uh, start podcast starter kit. Um, let's give people something that they can take away from this. So, hey, you need a good mic and you need a computer. Maybe buy yourself some headphones uh, and have some original thoughts. Guess what? That's your podcast starter kit. So it's, right. it's not hard to start. So I encourage everyone. And I'll give you way more props if you try a podcast and if you just sit on Twitter all day trying to get your agenda across. Nice. Yeah, yeah. You don't even need – I mean, you could eat st- – don't even put pressure on yourself to get the nice mic. Nice mic would be great, but um, if you have the uh, Apple Apple, the Apple headphones that come with your iPhone are good enough to get started. Um, it's, you know, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things where if you get caught up with, um, 
you know, trying to match the quality of your favorite NPR podcast, you'll never get started. Um, so get started and improve as you go along. Yeah, and, and I think that's where, like, bring this full circle coming back to, to Twitter um, and why I feel the way I do about Twitter. And I still love Twitter. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, again, bo- uh, it's entertaining. I do network with so many different people at once. Um, but what I can't stand about it, and maybe I can do a better job filtering this by unfollowing certain people or not, but it's just the discourse and the way people talk on there. And and to me, you know, podcast, you're presenting information, but people have the choice to opt into that. So if you don't like what I'm saying on T-Dub, if you don't like me pushing my tea agenda, um, you know, you hate green tea or chamomile or whatever, uh, don't just don't listen. Versus Twitter, it, yeah, yeah, you can unfollow me, but... I just feel like it's so many people shouting at each other in a room. Uh, it's chaos. And ultimately, I don't know about you, but I feel fatigued when I log into Twitter. And I feel fatigued after spending 20 minutes on Twitter. And I've gone through these Twitter blackout periods. And it kind of sucks because I don't feel as I'm in touch with the world. Like, I don't know what's the latest debacle happening in crypto Twitter. And I also don't know if Anthony Davis is still a Pelican. So... I can get these inf- sources of information. Uh, I can get this information from other sources, but it's, it's more fun to get it on Twitter. That being said, I don't want to spend 20 minutes during the Super Bowl complaining about commercials, um, hoping someone retweets my thought. I'd rather just talk about it on an upcoming episode of Teed Up. I agree. I agree. I mean, that's, that is – with Teed Up, you're creating your own uh, media ecosystem. And you control your own voice. I do think there's something to be said about in this in this fire hose of content that you could get from uh, celebrities, people, high school friends on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's it's crazy. I do think there's if there is a value to making sure that you manage the ratio, that you actually make sure that you you control. You also put out. Um, a certain percent of a piece of content and it does. And, and I don't think it should be like selfies or saying like, Hey, look at me at the gym it should be thoughtful content that you put out um, that you to establish yourself um, in whatever field you're interested in. So whether it's talking about meditation or talking about politics or sports or business, um, you know, I have friends that, you know, have come from all the walks of life. As far as like, you know, friends that are doctors that want to establish their brands as doctors and talk about plastic surgery and create plastic surgery podcast. And so, you know, I think that's a, I think this is a we're in the era of everybody being able to have their own TV station and their own um, their own TV station, their own radio station. Um, take advantage of it. You know, don't don't be a consumer, be a creator. I agree. I will be the devil's advocate and just say, if you are the creator, create somewhat of a positive environment. Um, create a forum for discussion. Don't be a hater. Uh, be a creator. Because uh, one of the things that I, I find with Twitter, you know, I call them Twitter bullies. Um, there are people who think they're the smartest person in the room think they're the last person in the room. Maybe they're just trying to amplify their own personal brand or their own agenda, but they do so in a way where, you know, they'll attack, you know, they'll just get into Twitter fights for the heck of getting into a Twitter fight. Um, that part of it is, is something that I think is unique to Twitter. It's, it's the, you know, how can I puff my chest and be the loudest person in the room? And therefore I am the right person. And it's weird. I just don't understand why people treat each other that way. Um, you wouldn't walk yeah. into a conference room and just start yelling at people and have these counterproducts. Like imagine Twitter was a bar. People love when I compare the dating apps to bars. So let's compare right. Twitter, Twitter to a bar, right? So you walk into the Twitter bar and you know you want to get a drink. You maybe see some buddies. Um, you start you know reading the room. Oh, and here's someone who just starts. You know, there's a game on TV and someone says, "Man, the Giants stink." And some other person's like, yeah, but then there's a Giants fan who's like, no, but give him a chance. And then everyone just starts yelling and then people are breaking bottles over their head. Um, (laughs) That's what Twitter is. Like Twitter is the worst bar in the world right now. Uh, And then maybe Donald Trump walks into your bar and then he, you know, anyway, um, it's just a really crazy bar. And I'm not saying that that bar shouldn't exist, 
but there have to be some ways to improve the bar. Maybe that's something we should do to conclude this podcast. Come up with three to five ways to improve the Twitter bar. Okay. Um, I got one. I got one. Um, And Bill Simmons kind of touched upon this, and I feel the same way about email, but you get charged per tweet. Mm, I like that one. So you get charged per tweet, and maybe there's a, a limit you can tweet per day. Those are two different ideas. There's one negative side effect uh, of this, which is it creates an unfair advantage for the rich of the world who could then just buy up all the tweets. Um, so I think there has to be a cap no matter what. Um, but, oh, man, if people had to pay for every tweet they put out, they'd be a lot more thoughtful. I feel the same way about email. If you got charged for every email you sent per day you'd be so more, so much more thoughtful about how many you send and what you put into that email. Uh, it'd be a lovely world. Yeah. I think there's actually a startup that actually is, is telling for you, if you are basically you can set up your email box in a way that if, if for somebody that's not um, somebody in your address book to, for them to send you an email for it to, to uh, reach your email, you have to pay. They have to pay. Um, they have to pay you for the opportunity to send you one. Um, it's an interesting startup. It's a crypto startup. Um, and, and they have their own crypto that you would get paid in. Um, but it's an interesting concept. But, you know, another way, I guess, you know, the ability to edit tweets would be helpful. Um, one thing that um, came up in the Joe Rogan, I think this is, uh, a Joe, I think Twitter is actually going to come out with this because um, Jack Dorsey kind of let it slip. They're going to allow you to have the ability to have like a 30 second delay on your tweets. So you have 30 seconds to delete them or change them or edit them before they go live. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot. Of, I think what happens with Twitter is that you're, you know, you're rewarded for kind of shooting from the hip. But if there's a point where you could kind of do a quick point of reflection or editing, then maybe, um, you know, maybe the quality of tweets and the attacking uh, may stop a bit. Yeah, I, uh, I remember Dorsey was talking about that. On, on the Bill Simmons podcast where his explanation for not being to always uh, edit your tweets, um, he gave the example of someone could uh, tweet a link out and it would direct a lot of people to one page and then four days later change that link uh, content, you know, wherever it linked to, change the content. But because this tweet has already been retweeted so many times, um, it's still out there and still going to drive that traffic. But now maybe driving the traffic to a completely different site that could, you know, spread like a, a, a you know, false political agenda. Right. So that was the hesitancy uh, surrounding editing tweets, you know, permanently. Right. But this idea of that time window, I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing with Twitter is that people see hashtags and especially when news is just coming out. Um, and people just react to it so fast um, without getting the facts. So I don't know. I mean, there's some kind of like fact-based checking mechanism um, that says like, hey, this is breaking news. All facts have not been gathered yet. Um, so this tweet is, is is connected to a hashtag that has not been verified. I, I don't know what that could be, but some, you know. You know, something breaks. Like I'll go on Twitter and I'll see somebody's name. I'm like, oh, what did this person do t- today? Or what did you know? What happened to this one celebrity? And you know, sometimes people jump on the celebrity or jump on whoever, and um, news didn't come out. The new, the full news is not there yet. So I think having you know, incentivizing people to pause could be interesting. I'll, I'll take. I like that. I'll take that one step further. So there should be better checks and balances on Twitter and the community should be doing the large majority of checking and balancing. So with that being said, uh, I have the ghosting badge for the dating profiles. I want badges on Twitter that are crowdsourced by group voting, where if you're a serial offender of spreading fake news and real fake news, um, you get a fake news badge. Um, if you are someone who always is confrontational, you get like this angry emoji badge stamped on your profile. <laughs> like, I want to know what I'm going to get myself into when I engage with this person on Twitter. And the best way to do that is through a visual representation of the terrible person that person may be. 
I like it. I like it. Maybe your avatar also like morphs. Like if you're really bitter and angry, like it just becomes the sour puss guy. Like I don't know. I like the badge idea better. I think I, I, I like that as well. All right, we need one more. I feel to round this up. Uh hmm. It's gotta be something good. Oh, someone came up with this. I don't. I'm stealing this completely, and it's funny, and I just like it. But it's a little circle underneath your avatar to add your pets. Okay. I think that's hilarious. You could add your kids if you want, but we all like pets better than kids anyway. So. So you what you just had? Oh, like you would have a Would it be a, a real picture? or Would it be like an emoji of like a dog or a cat or something? I think it's a real picture. It's just a little circle. It could be an emoji. I don't care. Just throw just throw some real estate up there on my avatar that I can include. Because then, if I'm tweeting something and someone doesn't agree with it, but how could you disagree with my dog? <laughs> you're telling me I'm wrong about my agenda, but you're going to look into that dog's eye, those, those eye, the eyes of that dog, and you know want to boop his nose and tell me that you don't agree that Anthony Davis should be a New York Nick uh, alongside Kevin Durant and maybe even Kyrie Irving in 2020? That, that would be a ridiculous team. Let's with talk Zion, about it. That, let's close. Zion. Let's close. Let's close the podcast so we get some nice Knicks love with our predictions for the 2020 New York Knickerbockers. What's that starting five look like? Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I have. I'm an optimistic guy, but I'm very pessimistic as well. So. I don't see this summer being as fruitful as they are trying to sell us. Therefore, um, I see this. I see the starting five being um, uh, Kevin Knox, um, uh, <laughs> Deion, uh, Cousins, Demarcus Cousins. Uh, Kimber Walker, uh, well, rookie. Um, I I'll throw Zion in there. In there. Um, uh, Emmanuel Moutier. Is that five? I lost track. Five. I started getting scared and just got depressed really quickly. And yeah, yeah. Same. I don't. I, I don't see this summer being as fruitful as. They are trying to sell to us. I think I think Knicks fans are definitely getting set up for for major disappointment. I mean, this KP trade, like, I don't even want to talk about it. There's a lot of I still have a lot of emotions about it. Um, it could yeah, work out. It could it work could, out. It, well, could well the whole point is it'll work out if we get KD and Kyrie. I think actually I think Kyrie is probably a, high, uh, a pretty strong chance. I don't think KD is. Um, so maybe it's Kyrie and Cousins. Um, I don't want us to give Cousins the the max. I like him, but I wouldn't want to give him the max. I feel like it's 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 another Amari type of situation. But that's the Knicks for you. Unfortunately, it's 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 a we like pain. Who is in more pain right now? Uh, a Knicks fan or a Washington Wizards fan? Uh, with the news that John Wall is out for at least 12 months with a ruptured Achilles, which he suffered in his home. Um, I don't know. First of all, I don't know if I believe that story. The story sounds a little bit out there. It reminds me of Monta Ellis when Monta oh, Ellis yeah. lied, lied about um, getting her on his bike. But um, it's pretty sad. I mean, it's pretty sad for them. Um, and they're stuck with him. I mean, he's next year is the beginning of a $170 million contract. Um, and so, Hey, I'm happy for him. He's getting paid, but there's no way that they get any ROI on that, on that contract. Um, and they're just stuck with him. Um, even before this, he's kind of been in kind of this weird thing where he, he's supposed to be at the upper echelon of point guards. He hasn't played like it. Um, but his attitude is always not really his attitude on court body, you know, language has never really been that good. And so it's, it's been tough for them. Um, 
It's been tough for them. Uh, obviously, you know, Bradley Bill plays awesome. Um, he's an all-star. Um, and, you know, he may be, he may be, uh, somebody, he may be somebody they could use to get some talent. Um, but yeah, I mean, the team had high hopes. Um, especially with LeBron leaving the conference, people thought that the the Wizards could kind of be in that top four, um, and it doesn't look like that that will happen at all. The Wizards are a cursed franchise. Um, we're running short on time, so I don't want to get too into this. But man, ever since the Gilbert Arenas gun lock room incident, I mean, they just haven't recovered. That's just been the downward spiral. Uh, I, I forget where Jordan fits into this timeline, although I, I, I wouldn't say the Jordan wizard run was anything to really write home about. Uh, I was impressive that he was playing at that age, but that was about it. Um, <laughs> I actually felt it, it somewhat damaged Jordan's legacy a little bit. Oh, like, for sure. I, I never wanted to see him in a jersey. Can you imagine like Kobe playing for two years in another franchise? Like they're just players. I mean, speaking of which, he he, he claims that he could come back and he just doesn't want uh, to. He's gonna have to come back because there will be no one on that Lakers bench besides LeBron and AD. Although no, no, I, I actually heard that the Lakers are 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 out are out or yeah they're they're out. Uh, Pelicans are demanding too much. But yeah, going back to Gilbert Arenas, like what people forget about Gilbert Arenas, and you were at the NBA and I was at the NBA. Um, and I was at the NBA when this was a thing, but Gilbert Arenas really is the first social media star athlete. Um, this is before Twitter got popular. I want to say this is around 2006, 2007, right before Twitter. The NBA had a, a great blog. They still do, um, but blogs were really the big thing back then. And Gilbert Arenas had the Agent Zero blog, and, and this was like an amazing innovation in a way to get a player's personality out into the world. Um, it had a really good digital following. Uh, the NBA did a lot of creative things, and then Gilbert went ahead and kind of ruined it for everyone by bringing a gun into the locker room, and we'll yeah. leave it at that. But I want the world yeah. to know that you know I like Gilbert Arenas' player, and if Wizard fans can take solace in anything today, it's that Gilbert Arenas was the first true social media star uh, and always will be. And now he has... Uh... He's still doing the social media. He has a he has a show on Complex with a, a very wholesome co-host. I'm rooting for Gilbert to come back. I'm rooting for John Wall to come back strong. Uh, he's probably going to be a New York Nick. I'm sure the Knicks will just trade for him and injure John Wall. Like, hey, why not? We'll have John Wall. We'll have Steve Francis. We'll have Stephon Marbury. Let's bring Ewing back. Let's get Starks, who misses the threes in, in, in the NBA Finals against the Rockets back. Let's just, oh, my goodness. Let's oh get my that goodness. team. Uh, I will be very happy if Charles Oakley comes back to the Knicks in any fashion. You can just put him in for two minutes, and, and that will be worth next season alone it is, it is it would be worth it that's for sure uh on that note fritz thanks for coming on the show we're gonna make you a, a three-time guest very soon uh I look listen, forward to it listen to the coin game uh listen to the coin gamma podcast this is podcast we're allowed to make mistakes um listen to this po- podcast and subscribe listen to teed up hey if you got enough time in your day learn as much as you can about crypto well enjoying some tea and conversation and that's what you're going to get uh when you tune into to the show fritz thanks so much for being on the show thanks for having me man take care take care